Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. As a record this, I'm sitting in the loud airport waiting for my flight back to sunny San Francisco. Uh, I've just finished a stupendous week in New York City for the Spring Run Tour New York City event. An amazing event led by my fearless leader, Tasha Eisenberg, and her teams. If it's a Tasha joint, you know it's going to be great. And this was no exception. A lot of fun, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I love New York. And this is actually the first time since I've, since the pandemic that I've been in New York. Uh, but that said, there's a lot of background noise here, as you can probably hear as I record this. Uh, so I'm going to cut to the chase. Today's episode is going to be a great one. It's, we, I'm joined by my new teammate, Dan Vega, who's a fellow Spring Developer Advocate. He's a family fella and an awesome asset that I can't wait for you to meet. So let's dive right into the episode. It worked. Just, you know what didn't work? These overpriced uh, headsets from Apple. Oh no. Yeah, they've just been. They just gave up the ghost. I'm not sure why they don't connect reliably, or if they do connect, then they start like flickering about and just stop working. Bluetooth is the it, worst thing ever created, and I mean it's very it's helpful. Also pretty, <laughs> it's <yeah>. helpful, <laughs> but like it just never works. It never works. But do have you? Do you, do you have an iPhone? I do. I'm, okay, I'm so do, bought into the the Apple ecosystem. So, do you ever use AirDrop? I do. Yep. Oh, that is magic. That is, uh, is. That, that's sorcery and witchcraft, <laughs> and it is awesome. Uh, and that's over Bluetooth, right? Like, <clears throat> but everything else, you know, I I, I I I agree. Obviously, there's there's some things that we could do better. Um, you know what it is? It's as soon as you introduce more than one device, all of these things don't know how to like just stay in their share. own share. <laughs> right, exactly. They all want to be in control or be connected or whatever. Right. And I, I kind of think that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, technology problem from a computer's perspective, like multiplexing. I mean, we can yeah. multiplex HTTP connections. Why can't we multiplex Bluetooth? Right. Well, one, because it's super, super stateful, but, but still, you know, it seems like that'd be a thing you could do. Um. How's the weather where you are? Uh, it is really hot. So yesterday was 95. I think today is 98. And we get the wow. humidity on top of it. It's just dry, hot. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Or, you, or wet, hot. You just yeah, wet, wet, hot. Wet, wet and dry. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> wait, so whereabouts are you? So I am right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. I live in a little city called Rocky River, which is like 15 minutes outside of Cleveland, Ohio, but lived here most of my life. So Nice. So, uh, and this is important for the, for the audience so that I don't butcher it, but who are you? <laughs> like, uh, give yourself uh, a name and so on. Yeah, so my name is Dan Vega, and I'm a Spring Developer Advocate uh, alongside you uh, on, our, on our wonderful team here at VMware. Uh, I've been, you know, in the world of programming for, you know, software development for a little over 20 years, worn many hats in this industry, uh, I've been around many languages, frameworks, um, and just, you know, I think, you know, from the very beginning, I've really taken an interest in teaching, so it's not by a surprise that I've kind of ended up in this role and just really excited to be here doing what I'm doing these days. Nice. Ah, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, I'm glad you're here too. Obviously, it's it's been a uh, uh, you know it's always nice to have nice new friendly faces on the team, uh, especially when you know them already. You know, you're uh, yep. happy to welcome them. So we, uh, you and I both work at the big old Tonsi Ranch at VMware, um, mm -hmm. 
and uh, we have, uh, I think, many masters. But uh, spring is certainly, I think, uh, a big one. Um, yeah. What What's your interest in spring? Like, where did you get started? How you know? What's your yes. story there? Actually, so, better yet, what was your interest in software first, and then when did you figure out how to do it right with spring? Yeah. So my software journey again, I'm I'm dating back to when the internet really just came around. Right. And I, I just, I fell in love with the creativity of like being able to build something. And there's like no one true path to like create something kind of like an artist, how artists get into like drawing or painting. Like you just take this idea and you create it with your own kind of creativity. Right. And so software kind of gave me that creative outlet. Um, I got into the way I got into software was I joined, you know, I, I went through a kind of two year school back then it would be kind of similar to a coding bootcamp today where I quickly, you know, picked up the basics and started doing like little side projects on my own. And then I took a job with a startup in San Francisco up, up out your way um, in the Emeryville area. Nice. And um, yeah, I did a, I did some like level two technical support there where I was kind of working with the engineers who were Java based at the time. And that's where I really got started with Java. And our website was written in Java and struts. So really 20 cool. years ago, struts uh, programming, that's kind of got me into kind of web development. Oh yeah, um, me too. Well, oh, web, God. Web, web development on Java. Yeah, and that was not yeah. fun twenty years ago. So I, I had don't a. No, actually, I look back. I I don't have any problems with stretch. It it did us more favors than it didn't. You know. Sure. Um. I think though, you know, for me, it was like I, I wasn't I wasn't a Java developer. I was really more of a web developer, right? And okay. Okay. So so in that portion, it wasn't easy to kind of make changes and push them, and you know, the, the right. way that we can today. Live reloads, like all the past right. iteration, was definitely not there. Right. So I ended, up, I ended up getting involved in uh, a, uh, a language slash framework called Cold Fusion. And nice. Cold Fusion like, was built on the JRE. And it was. Well, that, that was later, though. I remember when it wasn't, right? Yes, on, that's true. And then they moved that to, that was a layer yep. Cold Fusion and then Macromedia and then Adobe. Yep. Uh, and then they had JRun as well at the same time. That was a J2E exactly. application server. Yep. Oh, so I got in, I got in, in involved around then. Um, and it, it, for me, it was great because it, it kind of gave you the power of Java, but it was like, Hey, I just want to like connect to a database very easily and throw something out on a web page, Right. And so I did that for a while. I ended up, um, following, um, you know, some really good friends to a company where we, you know, a lot of their uh, systems were built on Cold Fusion, and we were gonna kind of move them over to to both Groovy and Grails. So, Groovy and Grails is really what got me into more into the Spring world because I went to Spring 2015 to or 20 it was either 2014 or 2015, and I went there to to really like learn more about like Grails and that whole community was at all of those yeah. conferences, right? And see like the likes of like Bert and, and you know, everybody working on, on Groovy and Grails and, and Graham. And so that was really exciting for me. And that is actually where I, you know, I'd, I'd done some spring development, but it was like traditional spring development with XML, right. you know, tons of XML configuration. And that's the first time I heard about Spring Boot was at 2015. And I was just like, I was sitting there going, oh my God, this is exactly 
what <laughs> I don't like about spring development. And you're basically fixing everything, uh, you know, that was painful. So I'm like, this is going to be like the next big thing. So could then be, I, I really, yeah, I, that, that's when I really kind of started to fall in love with spring. Well, that's awesome. Well, okay. So can we talk about cold fusion for a second? I'm just so yeah. curious. Like I, do you know there was a spring for cold fusion project? I did not No. There was, I, it was, um, it was not spring. It was cold fusion. It was another project for cold fusion that was okay. trying to provide some of the benefits uh, of, of spring, right? It wasn't actually okay. the spring itself. Gotcha. Um, just like the, there was a spring for Python at one point. There's a spring for ActionScript, which is the flash programming yep. language. Yep. Uh, there's a, um, somebody did um, a spring for Ceylon. I don't know if you remember that JRE based language. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it was, a, you know, the folks that were working on Hibernate Yep. went off into the forest for five years and they decided to build their own language uh, called Saline, which is, uh, as far as I know, quite a nice language. It's just, it never went anywhere, you know? Um, gotcha. And, uh, and, and then anyway, cold fusion was always kind of interesting to me because I remember early 2000s, uh, you could find people um, describing JSP tags, ASP tags, and cold fusion tags. And it just seemed yep. like that was going to be the way we were all right. going to build apps is reusable and composable tags. <laughs> Yep. And now, you know, I don't know anybody who uses cold fusion, uh, but I don't know why. I mean, lots of big governments are still on that. Um, So those big government contracts, uh, you know, if you still, you know, it's definitely a niche language these days. If you know it, you can make some money because there are lots of governments out there that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. really hard for people to get off certain systems. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it got to a point where, you know, I got really interested in spring and I was like, this is kind of the future. This is what I want to be doing. Yeah. And that's what I moved yeah. over. No, I'm with you. We'll talk about spring. I'm just, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, re- I really like, I'm, I'm so Listen, I've, I've made my name in the software world because of cold fusion. So it has a, a, a special place in my heart. <laughs> well, that, uh, there you go. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, what was it that it, because, okay, for people that know, don't know, I'm going to do my outsider's perspective uh, review of what cold fusion is. You tell me if I'm wrong, or actually, uh, better yet, tell me when I'm wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll be wrong. I just don't know to what extent. Um, it is a way to use tags to define business logic, and you could have tags that could establish a data source. You'd have tags that could create sessions. You'd have tags that you could use, and then people could create their own tags. And these are compositions of other tags sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and they could do they could do all complex things like having a shopping cart widget or something. You know. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, and, and there was, was there a programming language or was it just yeah. tags being used for if else and all that kind of stuff? Um, so they're, they're eventually turned over to, they, they had something called a script, you know, a CF script, which is like a right. tag where then you could just write scripting instead of using all tags. But yeah, That's essentially, so cool. the, essentially the idea was like, make it as easy for me as you can to do X. So one of the biggest right. ones is, Hey, I want to connect to a database. So there's a tag called like CF data source or whatever, and you define your data yeah. source connection. And then you say like, hey, I just write a query in here, select star from customers, give me all the customers. And now in that same template, I can iterate over those, the collection of customers and just display them uh, in like a table or something. So, so it's like it export really the easy. connection results it to like a variable and you could just bind to that in your exactly. iteration tags. Yep. Oh, that's so good. We, yeah. we had JSP, which is terrible, right? And I remember looking at all the CF <laughs> stuff and there's lots of CF stuff because it was the only way to work is to write these tags. Yeah. And so people had solved every problem you can imagine. 
Yeah. Oh, so, and then they moved over to the JRE and I kept on thinking, gosh, you know, I should really look into this. This is now something in my own backyard because people, uh, it used to be a different runtime, right? I don't know if it was C or something like that, but I think it was it, in the early days. It was probably C, C++. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I joined a little bit after that, that ended. So do you ever have to maintain it? I mean, no, wow. uh, the last time That's I touched so it was probably 20. 14, 2015, so. No, I mean, did you ever have to maintain legacy C? Oh, to, uh, no. Code Fusion code? No, no. Yeah. I mean, you usually wow. don't. It's it's very rare that you have to dip into kind of the underlying infrastructure. You know, there are times right. like, hey, if there's not a tag that does this in Cold Fusion, you can actually reach out into Java and say, like, write, right. a, write a tag in Java and then access that information that way. Um, but it was wow. rare that you had to do that. That is so cool. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. It was rare. Is certainly it existed, and if you need to do it, you could. But yeah. it was such a rich community. I mean, I kept on googling. I'd I'd, I'd find like you know, uh, you know, I want to look up how to connect to a data source. And if you just type yeah. in something generic, dollars to donuts, you'd get a cold fusion response twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, yeah. even. Uh, and and now I don't even hear about it. And I just and then did you ever use? Did you use JRun or did you use some other target app server? Yeah, usually uh, it was JRun. Mm-hmm. And that used to be not Java as well. That that turned into a Java runtime uh, in the last twenty years. But that was also yeah, I'm not, trying to uh, another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, like, it, it's funny that you mentioned the, the community, though. I think that's one of the things that really kind of kept me around. That's where I I really like got into blogging then because yeah, you know, I was I was in this cold fusion community and I didn't really have any personal projects out there. And there's this developer, his name is Ray Camden, who's just an awesome guy, awesome developer. He had this open source blogging software called Blog CFC, and it was basically a blog written in Cold Fusion. And at that time, I like took it, customized it to my own. In those days, you had to like find your own hosting platform and FTP the code up there and get it to work. And actually, back then, it wasn't even hosted anywhere. It was the the source code for it was on SourceForge, if you remember those days. Yeah. that's where I ended up um, really kind of getting into blogging because of that same thing. Like I would blog for something or I would Google for something and I couldn't find an answer. So I just write a blog about it and say like, Hey, if right. you run into this issue, you know, here, I'm going to save you some time. Here's what you got to do to yeah. fix that issue. <laughs> so that's kind of really where that origin started. So yeah, I've been blogging for probably like 15 years because of that. And nice. Yeah. So pretty cool. Blogging. Yeah. That was the, uh, when I first got into it, you know the when at the in the early uh, in the late nineties early two thousands it seemed like um, you had to build I mean there was a you know it was very common for web frameworks to do their own version of the same thing you know um, and uh, so you know I remember when the JavaScript AJAX <laughs> explosion was happening in like two thousand five yeah. right. Uh, everybody was doing their own to-do lists, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, each each web framework would show you how to do a to-do list. And I think even Angular had that up until recently, you know, I mean, it's yep. just a very common, it's got a simple form, you hit a button, changes, lifecycle, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just remember, you know, I remember blogging just seemed like one of those things that it seemed like everybody was creating their own blog software as well because it was becoming yeah. popular enough for one to do it, you know? So wait, could this cold fusion thing, how did it, how did you deploy it? Was it a jar or uh, a bunch so, of script files or what? So at that point, you had to find somebody with Cold Fusion hosting. So they had 
the J run or whatever on their servers. And then you'd have to deploy it into a certain folder. So I would basically FTP up all of my code to get that up there. So it was a bunch of CFC files, <sighs> CFM files, uh, HTML so does that files. Mean you, sorry, does that mean you can make changes and see it change live instantly? Uh, well, you'd have to make changes locally in FTP. Well, you could, if you went sure. into the FTP, yeah. So again, <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> oh man, that's like a, the pissy, that's, I don't know why I feel hypocritical in admitting it, but one of the things I didn't love about PHP is that you could do exactly that same thing, right? Uh -huh. um, and then somehow for, for some reason just makes it more charming that Cold Fusion could do that same thing. Right, oh, but well. it's also very error prone. You don't want to be changing code on a production server. <laughs> sure, but the fact that you could just make a change, so what about if you're local? If you make a change, type it, and then refresh the browser, it's instantaneous? Yeah, so you could do that. Um, and then, you know, they have the wow. browser plugins, like the live reload, so it could detect that change and automatically refresh the browser for you, so. That's so cool. So this blogging thing, okay, so blogging, you decided to get into blogging, which I think we all, you know, those of us who are curious, we, uh, we get into the business of either running our own blog software and blogging or using somebody else's if we trust them enough. But it was very hard. It was, you know, far and few between, you know, when you were talking about. Yep. Uh, in the Java community, I used a J Roller. You ever hear that okay. one? That's a, yeah, I have. That's a, an older one, and then that that's the one I found out from uh, my buddy uh, Matt Rabel, who, uh, you know, he 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 was actually a committer on that project. Uh, and then for me, the the work of blogging software, I actually used that as a thing. You know, for every new framework I learned, I built a blog. Yeah, a simple, you know, yep. blog. Um, and so I served my own website, joshlang.com. Yeah. Off of like ten different versions of this blogging software that I've written over the years and various web frameworks and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, blogging is so it's like a it's super important, right? I mean, it's it's how we connect to the world. Are you still it is. active? It's tough, man. So yeah. I I I write a newsletter every couple of weeks because it keeps me writing. But writing about, like, if I have something to write about, like, learn this new thing in spring, I usually do a video on it. And then, you know, I'm on to the next video before I even worry about writing a blog post about it. There's yeah. so many things that I could be doing these days as far as content goes. And it's just, it's hard to prioritize them sometimes because yeah. I want to do so many things. Um, right. So the short answer is there are some posts up there that I maybe have, like, four this year, um, but it's not. It's not my main kind of priority these days. Um, yeah, it makes sense. I, I do like I writing. I do the videos too. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I mean, I, I, I like writing. I don't like being committed to write. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, if I can just sit down and on that rare moment, I have some free time just to yep. get out my, uh, can't, you know, my, my, my blank screen, whatever, tablet right. Reza. Speaking of um, your website, you refreshed it this year. It looks really good. And Thanks. I was happy to hear that you are using Vue on the front end. I'm a huge fan of Vue. So, oh, yeah. Looks great. Let me some Vue. Nice. I have, uh, well, thanks, man. I have my blog, which is pretty trivial. Beautifulpodcast.fm is also a Vue app. Uh, oh, nice. And the studio, the software I use to create new episodes of the podcast uh, is also Vue. So I've got three apps that I maintain. They're all Vue. Um, awesome. Of which the podcast and the website, joshlong.com, are mostly read-only in there for very trivial, you know? Yep. Um, I mean, those, yeah, those I are the best. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, like my site is 
pretty much a static site. I just kind of write markdown if it's a blog post or a right. newsletter, write it in markdown, commit it to Git, and boom, it, it automatically builds a new site and, and publishes out to the world. So I, I think awesome. you know that that kind of takes me back to, to Cold Fusion days of just like building for the web. I, mm-hmm. As much as a, a back-end developer I am, and I love Java and I love Spring, I love the web, like because it's just like you could just put something out there and like show it to people. Right. Like I, I can't show my mom my 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 backend rest controller, right? Like you, right. you want to be able to put stuff out in the world. And so that's what's always got me like kind of um, excited about building building things for the web is kind of front end development stuff. So oh totally. I love this static so have you that static site approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Uh, my blog up until my blog, my blog up until when I released this version of it uh, was a static site on GitHub Pages, right? Um, yep. And uh, what did I do? I ended up adding a backend, which you know, but I didn't want to give up that amazing, uh, uh, you know, make a change and get and then ta da, yep. you know. Yeah. And yep. so what happens now is if you make it, I have a bunch of markdown files in a GitHub repository. Um, okay. And I make a change to that. Um, and then what happens? Do, I think I have a webhook or something that hits my API. And the API then pulls down all the markdown files, right? Nice. So the view app is talking to the API. The API is in turn instantly updated whenever there's new blogs or whatever. So there's no database. Yeah. Everything yeah. that's on my website, joshlong.com, is loaded from the GitHub repository. And whenever that GitHub repository changes at all, and I trigger a webhook, which forces every component in the website to, yeah, re, you know, invalidate rebuild. its caches and rebuild, right? Exactly. Yep. So the YouTube's and uh, blogs and books and uh, appearances, all that stuff is instantaneously changed, just like with the yeah. static site approach. Right. But of course, I made the mistake of having a backend. I have an actual thing I have to run now, which sucks. But that's okay. You know. But again, yeah. you you are doing you are doing your viewers a service because at the end of the day, people are coming to like read a blog post. They don't want to wait for a page to kind of load, talk to a database and pull some content out. Like they just want to see your stuff. They want to read your page right away. (laughs) Right. So this is, yeah, it's it's, exactly. It's, it's talking to a a database, but it's all in memory, right? There's nothing. It's as fast as you can get without actually not have. And you know, with GitHub pages, there's a process somewhere running that returns your cache in every data. So it's the same thing at that point. And view is so fast. Do you, oh, I mean, I love, I love you. God, view. Yeah. I just, uh, uh, that's what, when I left, uh, when, when I saw you in Toronto, uh, we were at mm-hmm. both at Spring One Toronto. I left Toronto to go down to Fort Lauderdale. I spoke at ViewConf US. Uh, I was so like excited to be there uh, talking about view. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, but just a big fan of it. I'm a big fan too. That was a, that's a good show. I, I, I haven't been to that one. Is that the Pratique and Vincent? Yep. And, yep. Yeah, okay. They talked to me about that one, and I was thinking, I don't know, maybe I just go as an attendee. I'm not very good, but uh, I don't know know. about that. (laughs) No, I mean, a view certainly. I don't know much. I know I know enough to build an app, but that's not the same as knowing what I'm doing. You know, I think just view just makes it so darn easy. This is turning into a view podcast, which is fine. I'm okay with that. It's okay. You know what? Um, Just to kind of back that up, though, I will say, you know, we we have had conversations about JavaScript. And how there are some things we like about it, some things we don't like. I, yeah, I remember I, talking to you I one just night. Just like all of it. 
where where you were like, I need to have a stiff drink to write some JavaScript. Yeah, get into um, that dark place when I write my best JavaScript. Yeah, but for me, like I, that's how I felt about JavaScript twenty years ago. It was just terrible. I was telling yeah. people at ViewCom, we had this huge Bible of a book that you had to learn from to write JavaScript, and then we have this little tiny book called JavaScript: The Good Parts. Right. By Douglas Doug Clark. Clark for good. Yeah. yeah, and so that that was the good parts of JavaScript. Right. And so it was it was not fun back then. And and then, you know, jQuery came along and really kind of got me back into JavaScript because it was like, oh, yeah. this is now easy again. This is approachable. I don't need right. to have like some weird PhD to write JavaScript. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I told the view crowd at ViewComp that this is doing the same thing for me that jQuery did. View and frameworks like Nux3 are really making it like fun again to build for the web. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited yeah, to true. see. I'm excited to see like the future of, of JavaScript. Me too. I don't think it's TypeScript, if I'm honest. I, I don't, okay, so my problem with JavaScript is that it's a broken programming language, right? Fundamentally, it has an unsigned, unsound type, type system. It, and therefore, it's, you can't trust it, right? Um, if you can't trust, if it doesn't trust its own types, why should I trust it, right? That's my, right. my take on that. I can okay, see that. so, yeah, but then you get to, you get to TypeScript and TypeScript, is supposed to add types, but it also still has to be backwards compatible with everything that JavaScript supports. Yeah, so I now mean, you've got an compiles down you've, to JavaScript. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it also has to support existing code that hasn't been made yep. type hinted, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I just find it's like, you, you've now got types on, an, on top of an unsound type system. Sure, you know, but... But you expect that, when it breaks in production, it's going to break, you know? Uh, yeah, there are going to be problems in production here and there. But I think oh. the one of the biggest benefits of TypeScript is, you know, upfront catching those problems early on and giving, sure. you know, larger teams IntelliSense into what is going on in, in the, you know, in the, in the system because they're, they're, they're kind of those declared types. So TypeScript isn't perfect, but uh, I think it's a great start and I think it's only getting yeah. better. Very true. Yep. I, I just think it, I, I don't know. I, I write my code uh, using JavaScript if I can, right? Just regular JavaScript instead of TypeScript, just because it's already broken enough for me, you know? <laughs> uh, I, that's, I, I was, did you ever use Angular? I have, yeah. Uh, I've used it a lot. Uh, I've used yeah. one. I was migrating from one to two. I've been on, like, you know, at the last job I was at, we, we used Angular a lot. So, yeah. So I used one and I quite liked it, right? One reminds me of Vue, right? 1.0. Vue, you can just write JavaScript. Um, right. And then, and then they came, here comes two, and it's no longer Angular.js, it's just Angular. And <laughs> Very uh, yeah, and they broke everything, you know, and I hate, hate when they break things, you know? Yeah. Um, especially something as big as Angular with those millions and millions of users uh, just turn around after a few years and break everything that was, even jQuery didn't do that, you know? jQuery was great. You could have, you had uh, some confidence that things would still work a year from now or five right. years from now. Right. Uh, just seems like a, a really good way to infuriate your users is just to wantonly throw away their trust in your uh, stuff. So that was, I guess, I guess, my, I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to trust my framework. Yeah. And uh, if, I, if, I, if my framework is built on, on an unsound language, uh, that doesn't understand things like pointing float, you know, floating point numbers and and uh, uh, truth, you know, true and false. Uh, that's a problem. And if the community, if the the team building it just 
maneuvers it wantonly without regard to the uh, people that are using it. That's that's a big uh, deal deal killer for me, you know. I gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, I don't think Cold Fusion did all that. I think Cold Fusion was pretty good in that respect. It was reliable. I, as far as I know, they made the move from native to JRE based with no problems. You know, I mean, it, it seemed like they cared about the community. That explains why it's still in use yep. today. You know. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so anyway, that uh, and, and that gets us. That brings us all back around to our friend Spring Boot. Oh um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Spring Boot's done a pretty good job of navigating the, uh, you know, the trust uh, gap. You know, like how do you do. change software without changing people's expectations too much? You right. know, right? Um, Not breaking a lot of things. Right. Um, you know, I think I think you know. Part of Spring Boot does exactly what Cold Fusion did for me 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. It, it takes, it makes complex things very easy to do and lets me focus on building something, right? And right. so if I want to connect to a database, like I don't have to go through the pain of like setting up a new project, figuring out how to configure a data source connection, right? You know, working with some kind of low level JDBC driver, like. All of those things are things that I don't want to focus on. Like I want to write some SQL to get some customers out of a database and I want to do something with them. Maybe return them in an API back to a client that's written in view or something. And right. it just on every step of the way, whatever project it is, it just it has that consistent programming model of just making right. all of those things easy to do. And that's why I, I really enjoy working with it. So well, that's, I mean, yeah, it feels like you're, you know, pair programming with the Spring team, right? Yeah. Um, at least you can extend it. I, I love that about it as well. Yeah. Um, what What was your first use case for it? Like, was it, were you trying to build a backend to one of your uh, view apps or something? Or uh, No, not even. I mean, this was, you know, return back to kind of where we were with Groovy and Grails and, you know, we oh, found right. we found some performance issues there when we were using Hibernate and Groovy and Grails when our system got really big. And so I started building yeah. out some like proof of concepts in Spring, just getting us closer to um, you know better performance. And I think that yeah. Spring really did that out of the box. Um, as much as I love Groovy and Grails, I found you know it just to be an easier well. It, we got, like I said, we got better performance out of it. We got all the benefits of like being able, you know, being able to deploy a jar um, to a cloud environment back then, you know, seven years ago was not easy. Yeah. Much easier these days. But um, yeah, just kind of building out proof of concepts on how to like move some systems over to uh, Java and Spring. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. So, I mean, did you already, you, I mean, you'd, you'd probably use Java when you were running Cold Fusion tags and you had yep. Java experience, but yep. um, and then what was it like? And then going from Groovy to Java. Um, so yeah, so I had experience with Java. You know, back in the day from writing struts, I kind of kept up on it throughout my Cold Fusion days, just you know writing tags here and there. Um, and then I did start trying to learn Spring on my own before I got into like Groovy and Grails. And again, that was circa like twenty, probably twenty thirteen, where it was still like. You know, to create a new project, I had to like copy a new one over and change a whole bunch of XML, and and wow. it wasn't just a, a really good 
developer experience. And so that's where it kind of, you know, Groovy came along and Groovy was this great language where, you know, it fixed a lot of the things that weren't in Java yet. So things like lambdas, you know, those, yeah. those didn't happen until Java 8. Groovy had all these things in place already. If you wanted right. to like build out some XML document, that was really hard to do in Java uh, right. you know, a while ago. And Groovy made this like really easy to do. So again, I think, I think I'm noticing- it's still hard to do in Java. Yeah, I think I'm noticing a theme throughout my career is that I'm a lazy developer and I like these languages and frameworks to like make it easier on me to do for me to do right. stuff than than have to worry about some of these these like plumbing things, right? So absolutely. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of what got me into to, to Groovy and Grails. And then yeah, I mean, from there, you know, once you I think once you understand Groovy, you know, because I was using Groovy every single day, the move back to Java was easy. Um it was it was easy in, in the sense that the two languages are very similar in syntax, but right. that I didn't get all the benefits of, you know, the things that Groovy could do until, you know, Java 8 came along and we kind of, you know, Java 8 changes a lot of things for the Java community. Yeah. And so then, you know, okay, Java's starting to catch up now. We, we can right. actually keep using this again, so. Java 8, I think really, you're right. Uh, and it's interesting to hear you say that as a as somebody who's working in Groovy day to day to even like from the Java perspective, it was clear day yeah. is night, you know, uh, that Java 8 was a huge leap forward. Right. Um, but Groovy, I mean, Groovy even today has a ton of features. You just don't have anything for in the Java space, you know, like yep. AST transforms and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the metadata, <laughs> metaprogramming that is possible there. So I um I teach courses online and my still my most popular course is my Groovy course and right. it's really big in the DevOps world still and just because it makes writing you know things like Jenkins files very declarative and and easy to read uh, so right uh, yeah so Groovy is still very popular um, I, I don't reach for it as much just because I you know I, I happen to enjoy Java 17 I mean by the time we're we're talking now, you know, we're on Java 17 and there's just so many great features in Java that it makes it less for me to yeah. have to, to, to reach for Groovy. Right on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there's Kotlin these days, but yep. but you're right. Knowing Groovy is still very useful. I think, you know, you mentioned DevOps, you mentioned Gradle, right? Um, yep. You you know, for sure. You need that there. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just a very natural yeah. uh, language. Gradle is a really good example of that. I mean, if you want to just, I mean, you can't write your own, it's not easy to write your own functions in Maven. So right. uh, being able to just write some Groovy in a greater build file is, is really awesome. So another great reason to pick up Groovy. Yeah, 100%. So, okay. And, and it's now an Apache project. It's grown even further ever since yep. it moved to Apache. So I'm a big yep. fan. Um, okay, so you moved to Spring Boot. Were you still writing in Groovy or were you using Java at that point? Um, no, I, mostly, mostly everything was, was Java and Spring Boot. Nice. Okay. So you were, okay, good. So yep. you were, you, it wasn't hard for you to move back and forth. You, no, you've done both and you were okay with each. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. I, so what kind of, okay. So you, you moved to a stack, uh, Grails, uh, to its credit has a, uh, you know, and it had a, well, still does, I'm sure. I don't know, but it had a very, very dynamic, um, and different, uh, persistence uh subsystem right yeah yeah gorm yeah um so how did you find the move from gorm to spring data or, or whatever you were using 
Um, I think a lot of the things translated, um, again, I, the two paradigms are a little bit different, but I think, you know, what has been consistent over the years is I don't want to write SQL. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. want to set up some entities and I want the framework to go ahead and be able to do a lot of these things for me. Um, especially like CRUD stuff. You don't, you don't want to start a new project, create something like um, an event class and have to write all this mundane boilerplate code to create read update list, filter, page, sort. Like those are things yeah. that I don't want to focus on. So right. again, we're coming back to this theme of me being a very lazy developer, but I like to have the frameworks kind of handle those things for me. So um, I, I don't remember writing Gorm as much. Um, it's been a while, but I do remember um, enjoying it. So yeah, quite quite naturally. Yeah. Um, and, and you keep saying you're a lazy, lazy developer, which I take issue with. I've, I've, <laughs> I'm a fan. Uh, you've, you know, you start you. It started talking to you now. It's starting to make sense. You kind of popped up uh, on my radar several years ago, right around 2014, I guess, uh, because you started doing these blogs every now and then, and they would be I would I would include them in my um my weekly this week in Spring Roundup, right? Mm -hmm. And at some point, am I crazy? Did I hallucinate? Did Did you work with uh, uh, my friend John Davies at one point? John Davies, where would where would John have worked at? I don't think so. C24. Or something? No, I don't think that. Oh, was am I thinking of somebody else? Okay. Yep. I, anyway, I remember your blogs popping up, and um, uh, you know, I remember including them in uh, this week in spring. And it's just been nice to see that voice come so far in, in uh, so little time. Well, I suppose now it's been a hot <laughs> minute, you know. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's amazing. You know, it's it's a, a lazy developer just writes something and then forgets it. A, a, a responsible developer will internalize <laughs> that and, and improve it upon it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 then to do that for everybody else too. Oh, that's that's not lazy. That's awesome. I appreciate cool. that, man. No, I appreciate um, you saying that. Thank you. So the okay, so you wrote uh, these. You did these um, these uh, blogs, and then uh, you also said you do uh, videos, which I've. Excuse me. Uh, you can you tell us about those? Yeah. So um, I think it really started with that. So I was looking back through a post as we were talking. I think my first spring one was 2013. My first one where I think I saw spring boot was 2015. And I came back from that conference going, this is going to be huge. I need to like learn this and teach other people about it. And yeah. so I think I'll have to look exactly on the years, but I came back from one of those conferences and I said, you know, I've, I've created some videos. I have an idea how to create a video, but I saw this platform, this Udemy platform was real big at the time. Right. And, you know, I saw people advertising $199 courses and there were these instructors who had 100,000 students. And I'm going, oh my God, they must be like millionaires. These people are making tons of money off of this. I'm <laughs> like, that's it. I'm going to create a course on this. And so, you know, something that's kind of always stuck with me and I, you know, many people have said this, but somebody had repeated this to me early on, which was, you don't need to be, um, you know, an expert on anything to teach it to somebody else, right? Like you just need to be one step ahead of where they are. So I figured, you know, spring boot is brand new. Um, people are going to jump at using this. I'm going to learn this and I'm going to teach it to people. So, you know, yeah, I created a course for, uh, uh, Udemy's big kind of uh, uh, November sale, the um, what's the Black Friday sale? 
Right. And so I got this together. It's a turned out to be a 14 hour course. It's an introduction to Spring Boot. If you've never used it before, here's how, here's some of the basics of how you can use it. So I launched that course and you know, it was terrible. The content was good. The video was shot on an iPhone, which doesn't have a flip phone. So I'd always have to run around and see if I was in frame. And I had this like lapel microphone. And yeah, I mean, it's up there. So you can find videos of it. The video is not good, but the content was good. And that, and that kind of drove right. a message to me like, all right, people want content, you know, I'll get better at this video and audio thing as we keep going. So, right. You know, from there, I, I got more into YouTube, uh, just cre started creating YouTube videos, more into creating courses. You know, I think I have like eight courses now uh, on that platform. And I've just crossed 16,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, so, you know, just getting better at this every day, enjoying the process of knowing that like YouTube is a long game. It's not a short game. I'm just trying to right. get better at creating videos. But the main thing is always, you know, comes back to the same thing as the blog is like, I've learned something. I want to teach it to you. And hopefully that you get something out of this video. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun process. And like I said, keep I'm working on it every day. So fantastic. Uh, so that's udemy.com forward slash user forward slash Dan Vega, D-A-N-V-E-G-A. And yep. YouTube, what is that? Just uh, Dan Vega if, or yeah, if you actually had the danvega.dev, you are basically can find everything there. So like all and my social links are on the bottom. D-A-N-V-E-G-A dot D-E-V. Yep. Okay, good stuff. Well, that's good. So where else can people find you on the internet if you uh, want to be found? That's really the best I mean, there... place. Yeah, I mean, like okay. I said, there, there's a bunch of social links on the bottom. So if you want to find my YouTube channel, if you want to find um, uh, my blog is on there, my newsletter, et cetera. So everything that you can find uh, about me is there. And then I'm also on the TNZ Developer Center. So under the Developer Advocates, uh, alongside right. you, we have a profile over there as well. Yeah, we do. TNZ Developer Center, that is, there's a, there's a web page there that, what is it? TNZ.VMware.com forward slash developer. We need to create a bit.ly. Uh, somebody needs to create a bit.ly. <laughs> we, we could just call it TDC Dev. There you but, go. You know. BIT.ly. Okay, hold on. Let's yep. do it right now. Um, and we'll just call it TDC Dev. That way people can just go to bit.ly.bit.ly for such TDC Dev or something like that. So it's easier. Cool. Either way, go there, find us, find you. Um, anything you want to leave people with, my friend? Um, we're on the Spring One Tour. So uh, we right. are visiting a city near you, hopefully. As we talk, we will be in New York next, next week. Will you be there? Yeah. I'll be there. Wouldn't miss it awesome. for all the tea in China. Oh man, uh, or, it's gonna be so much fun. Um, we're there for a whole week too. I'm I'm there for a whole week, and this this is awesome. Just being back in person, and and I like the I like the uh, Spring Month tour events because they're a little bit more, a little smaller, a little bit more personal. We can like talk to everyone. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. And these spring one tour events. Um, so we're New York, Seattle, Atlanta, Amsterdam. These are all leading up to the big spring one conference in December in San Francisco, which I can't say anything about yet, but I have some really exciting news about that. Uh, something that me and my friend Deshaun will be doing there, but I can't talk about it yet because it's not public, but hopefully uh, soon I'll be able to say something. So, okay. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I will see you there. That's uh, in my backyard. That's going to uh, be fun. That'll be fun. All right, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time. It's been, uh, I can't believe it's already been 
almost an hour. That's gone by way too quick. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For, Thanks, Josh, uh, for having everything. me. I really appreciate Just, it. Likewise. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.